Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the program where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this program is to be a source of inspirational truth that will not only awaken a deeper hunger within you for more of God, but also a source of encouragement when it comes to maintaining a deep passion for the Lord. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering practices of the temple, and it reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and to maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Maintain the Flame. I'm your host, Keith Collins, with Generation Impact Ministries, and I am so, so blessed, not just blessed, but I'm really honored and encouraged that you are listening to this program today. I I trust that what you're going to hear today will encourage you, that it will cause you to have a deeper hunger for the Lord, for the things of God. And friend, we are in amazing days. Um, The Lord's moving in power, in demonstration. If you listened last week, you, you heard the episode where I shared about the Asbury Revival and my wife and I were able to visit that a couple of weeks ago, and it was just glorious. And even beyond that, there's many other things that are taking place now. I know that we are hearing stories of outbreak um, on, I think, 20, 27 different campuses, I believe I saw, as well as many churches and not just college campuses, not even just Christian college campuses, but also saw a report out of Oklahoma University in Norman, Oklahoma, where students are actually securing the football stadium where the Sooners play football for like an evangelistic type meeting in the near future. Um, I saw a report of the Lord moving at a high school in Washington, D.C., as well as a middle school in Tennessee. So anyhow, um, it's exciting. It's encouraging. Are we on the cusp of a great awakening? I hope so. I hope so. I, I do believe that we are definitely in a season of outpouring where the Lord is visiting his people. Number one, um, you know, I've been out a lot in the last few weeks and I was really at three different churches this past weekend. I was at a place in Fairmont, West Virginia on Saturday where I spoke another church Sunday morning in Maryland, Western Maryland, Friendsville, Maryland, and then another church in West Virginia, another part of West Virginia, Buchanan, West Virginia, Sunday night. And I tell you, um, the the hunger the the thirst the passion to go after the lord it's just it's incredible right now and like i told you last week i've been seeing these signs of hunger for for some time now and i've been encouraged i've been writing about it in my newsletters and in different places and and sharing about it even as i've gone from different type of ministry venues i've been sharing about what i've been seeing and i'm not the only one that said that so it's not just something that i saw there are many many people leaders as well as just you know people that attend you know different ministries and churches that have been sensing and seeing this and when the lord poured out his glory i guess i think this this coming wednesday will be 3 weeks 
So um, this is being recorded on a Tuesday. So tomorrow, three weeks since the Lord really poured out his spirit at Asbury University in a chapel-type setting. And students, if you know the story, they came back to pray. And anyhow, long story short, that prayer meeting has really never ended as a result are never ended. And as a result, many people from literally around the world began to visit that place. And and God used that almost like a match to start fires just all over the place. So, man, I am, again, I'm kind of blown away. And I'll tell you, I, I've been in such a place of um, reflection, uh, meditation, um, prayer, um, just intimacy with the Lord over the last several weeks that, you know, my heart just uh, will not stop burning. Um, my my worship just will not stop going up towards the Lord. It's just it's just a beautiful season, and again, many people are being impacted in a very powerful and a very positive way during this season. So, I will say this: I believe that we're seeing revival fires burn. I will say that, and um, you know, revival starts in the church and then it goes out into other places, and then we pray that we see um, national as well as international awakening. And I saw even another report out of Uganda where God is moving in power. So so again, friend, God's doing incredible things. And and I want to take some time today and, and share about what I, what I'm seeing, and also how should we respond as a result of a season of outbreak. Before I get into that, let me just encourage you to visit us. Um, you can visit us at Keith Dosh, dot, I'm sorry, Keith, excuse me, Keith-Collins.org or ImpactGF.org. And I want to give you a new web address that we're going to be changing to with regard to my personal website for Generation Impact Ministries. And you can still access it by Keith-Collins.org. But we were able to secure the address keithcollins.net, which is a lot easier. And within probably maybe a week and a half, two and a half weeks or so, we're going to go live with with that um, web address. So remember that keithcollins.net. And we're also in the process of really upgrading both of our websites, our website that we use for um, my personal ministry as well as Generation Impact Ministries, and then our website that we use for our network of our, our apostolic network of leaders, missionaries, Christian business people, which is um, Impact Global Fellowship. So I'll be sharing about that on probably maybe not next week, but the following week. I should have some more details, but just wanted to give you a heads up. And also, um, if you would let people know about this program. Again, we are we're reaching the United States. We're also reaching into many parts of the world, including places like China and North Korea. I mean, the Lord has given us a supernatural way to reach into those places through a, a signal. And again, just just share this program if you would with friends, with family, with coworkers, with fellow students, whoever, because I believe that the content is really relevant for this hour, especially in light of what the Lord is doing. So, again, thank you so much for being a part of Maintain the Flame today. And I want to talk to you for a little while today about something I'm just going to simply call characteristics of revival, or we could call it revival characteristics. And, you know, I've studied the word revival. I've studied the 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 theme of revival. I've, I've studied 
past revivals for years. I mean, I, I've been preaching that for almost 37 years and been blessed to teach in um, Bible colleges and, of course, pastored a few churches. And, and I have, you know, always been a student of revival, whether it be revivals in the Old Testament, revival in the New Testament, as well as revivals that have happened throughout the history of the church. And, and we can, we can find still very easily, we can find very accurate history of how the Lord moved in power during times of visitation. And you know, one thing I'm thinking about right now, several years ago, I was blessed to visit um, the Hebrides Islands, the Outer Hebrides, and I went to the island of Lewis. And I've shared this before, but on this program, but it's important to hear it again, I believe. But but I, I was there with some friends of mine. And um, when I was there, we actually went to Barvis, which is the the location, the little village of the church where the revival broke out in 1949, and God used a man by the name of Duncan Campbell as really uh, a revivalist-type evangelistic tool to, to call the church to repentance as well as sinners to repentance. And the Lord really visited. He, he literally blanketed that entire island. And you can go read the history, but even villages that were you know way out. And it, it's a small place. I think the population at the time was like 25,000. But bottom line is God visited in power and in demonstration. There were, there were, there were radical salvations. And, and it... it it's as if they could not escape the presence of God. We read about this in the Welsh Revival of 1904 as well. But in 1949, like villages that were way out, like small, remote fishing villages that you would go to on purpose to, to, to get there. It's not like you could just go there. I mean, they were way out of the way. But but the Spirit of God began to visit those places. And people um, came under the distinct awareness that God was near, that that God was present. So I was I was blessed actually to visit Barvis and um, to see where God moved and to to be in the building, which was kind of a neat thing. You know, not that there's anything you know deep or mystical about that, but it but it was powerful to be there on that same real estate. And the blessing, though, the greatest blessing was not being there. The greatest blessing was that I was I was able to communicate or to spend probably I don't know two and a half hours with a, an elderly couple up in their nineties mid nineties who were actually a part of the Hebridean revival in nineteen forty nine, and they they began to share firsthand experiences that took place and the the lady was saved before the revival. She was actually one of the youth in the church there where God moved in 1949. And the gentleman got saved during the revival and was called into ministry and became one of the, the leaders of the actual church there years years beyond the revival, years past the revival. But but they began to, to, to share just about the weight of God's glory, about the, the angelic visitations, about how that people just not even close to the church would be, whether they were on a dance floor or in a bar or at their homes, just would come under deep conviction of God. Men out working in the fields or, or at, at weaving looms. Um, I mean, just supernatural visitations of God. So I just want to encourage you with this. Um, friend, God is very real. I know that we all believe that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Without fail, it's who he, God is spirit and, and, and he's, he's omnipresent. He's the only, he's the only one that, that can do that and that can be that, but, but that's who he is. At the same time, there are seasons of history 
um, where the glory of the Lord visits in power. It might be like we saw on top of Mount Sinai when the Lord would come down in fire and smoke and the mountain would quake. It might be when, like when Solomon dedicated the temple and the glory of the Lord came when the the priests at times were not able to even do their function as priests because the weight of God's glory was so intense. Again, we've seen this throughout history. We we see this maybe in the ministry of a John Wesley who would preach and such deep conviction would fall upon the congregation that people would fall to the floor maybe or, be, or just begin to, to cry out under conviction leading to repentance. Um, we, we read about great moves of God like the Azusa Street Revival that started 1906 to about 1909 and how the Spirit of God was poured out such power, such might. I mean, people baptized in the Holy Spirit, um, delivered. I mean, God just moving in power. I was blessed, as many of you know, to be a part of the Brownsville Revival in 1995 to 19, or I'm sorry, to to 2000, which was actually the longest-running revival in American history, and I was there for many, 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 many services, and I literally watched the glory of God just arrest the hearts of men and women, young people, night after night after night. Many of them were radically saved and then gave themselves to preparation and to being equipped in order to take the gospel to the nations, and there are many people right now that are around the world. I'll be with a couple and... um and some other couples, actually, a few couples in May that um, that came to the School of Ministry there in Brownsville. And as a result, they've been in the Philippines now for like maybe 18, 19 years, something like that. But I mean, and they've invested their lives and they've, they've made disciples and they've seen miracles and signs and wonders. And so the fruit of what God does during seasons of outpouring are amazing. And I have to tell you that I am convinced that we are in another season of divine visitation, of divine outpouring. Now, one of the things that that stands out to me is the darkness of our culture in light of the glory of God being revealed. So it's almost as if um, the Lord decides at times to reveal his strong arm of power and salvation in the darkest seasons. And one thing I will say, I do believe with all of my heart, and I've always believed this, I'm actually writing another book right now, and what I'm doing is chronicling the lives of men and women that invested themselves into intercessory spiritual warfare type prayer with regard to cities, um, communities, nations, um, you know, regions of the world. And these, these, these individuals oftentimes are not the known leaders. Matter of fact, they're, they're kind of like unsung heroes. I mean, we all know the name of Charles Finney, or many of us do, who was used so mightily in the Second um, Great Awakening here in America in the 1800s. Um, we know the name D.L. Moody. We know the name Billy Graham, right? We know a lot of these names, but oftentimes, and, and these men, of course, I believe were, were great men of prayer themselves, but, but oftentimes we don't know the names of the people that were interceding for them or people that before, like before um, Duncan Campbell arrived in Barvis in the Outer Hebrides off the, uh, off the mainland of Scotland in, the, in 1949, there were two ladies that were, I think, in their 80s, if, if I remember the history right, and by the last name of Smith, and they had been praying and calling out to God and, and reminding the Lord even of his word and his promise to visit. And, and then there was another group 
of young people, I can't remember the exact number, like five or seven, I believe, that were in a barn on another part of the island. They're crying out to God at the same time. So my point is this. I believe that that God's faithful to his own glory in every generation, but I also believe that visitation, revival, moves of God are tethered to faithful prayer warriors who refuse to compromise when everyone else has just kind of sat back and just accepted that we're just in such a dark season that nothing can help and nothing can can work. Um, there, there's always somebody or some group, and it's usually not a large mass of people. Usually it's a remnant of people who by faith engage themselves into the very heart of God himself, and they embrace the burden of the Lord, and they become literally possessed with the heart of God for a nation, for a people group, and and they cry out to God. And, and again, I cannot tell you that I understand it all, even though I've taught on prayer and intercession for 20-plus years, even in collegiate-type settings. And I, you know, I believe God has given me some insight into this subject, but I'll tell you, it always amazes me that the Lord, and understand this context correctly if you would, the Lord tethers his power to our obedience in prayer and intercession many times. Matter of fact, John Wesley, and I'm not quoting him exactly, but I'll paraphrase him here. John Wesley said, there are some things that, that do not happen except the people of God pray. And we know that God is sovereign, of course, and God can do anything he wants to do. However, God allows himself God allows supernatural things. God allows the moving of his power and spirit, especially when it comes to the affairs of man and when it comes to culture, society, government, um, church life, nations. He allows his power to be connected or to be um, tethered to obedience in prayer. James says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So listen, there is this, this power that is unleashed through prayer. And why sometimes um, it takes months, years, decades? I know that the history shows us that with regard to the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts was 12 years old when he came under God's burden from the age of 12 to the, to the age of 26. And we don't exactly, if that, we don't exactly, we don't know the exact extent of that burden, but we do know that during that time he carried this heart for revival for the nation of Wales. Probably he he had heard maybe from his parents or from others that were much older than him about how God had moved in Wales in the 1800s and there had been outpouring at different seasons. And he became gripped with the burden of God. And from 12 to the age of 26, so we're looking at about a 14-year period there, he becomes a vessel crying out to God for God to move and to visit his nation again. And then in 1904, the Lord answered that prayer and he visited. So I, I cannot, I'll be honest, I can't tell you why sometimes it might take a month, a year, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. But I do know this, friend. God visits in such ways from time to time that the very tangibility of his presence is undeniable, even the worst of sinners, the, the, the rankest sinners, oftentimes throughout history, have been gripped by the conviction of God. And I, I want to read um, one passage of Scripture, and I'm going to probably come back and share some more next week as, as our time is already moving along quickly. I've got just a little bit more time here. But, but listen to Isaiah 64 and verse 1 and 2. 
The prophet here says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. And I want you to hear his heart. God, rip open heaven and come down. I, I know that Isaiah was cognizant or he was aware of the history of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the the God that would visit Mount Sinai, the God that, that Moses communicated with, the God that when he would come upon that mountain, that mountain would violently shake and smoke and fire would billow from the top of that mountain. He understood the 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 weight of the power of God. So when he calls for God, Lord, once again, visit your people and visit the nations. Make mountains shake and quake at your presence. Lord, even the way fire brings water to a boil, the I'll say it this way, the violence of that, my friend, the, the visual picture of action and violence is is somewhat overwhelming here so i think oftentimes when we think about revival we 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 think about you know maybe the lord just filling a church filling church seats or church pews and the the parking lot being filled but i'm telling you something friend when we begin to talk about real visitation um it's not oftentimes the the easy, delightful thing that we think it to be. Oftentimes, it's the fire of God coming to purify, to to purge, to to cleanse out even the ministry. Because oftentimes, the greatest sin is laid at the feet of ministry. Because not only has ministry become compromised, but they have failed to instruct and teach and live the Word of God, and as a result, they. They breed a spirit of, of sin and compromise in those that God has given them to, to teach and to instruct. It's one reason why the Bible is clear that those that teach and preach the word will be more severely judged than others do. So, so oftentimes revival starts with leadership and God purifies that place and then he begins to deal with the church at large and and oftentimes you know we we see things again like I saw in Brownsville listen I was part of the prayer team there and there were many nights as I would pray for people after the service and Steve Hill would give the altar call people had come in had come forth to give their heart to the Lord and then there would be a time where we would pray for people oftentimes for maybe an hour or two that's just hundreds and hundreds of people desired to be prayed for. But there were nights that, I'll be honest with you, I was shocked. At, at the time, I was like a 30-year-old man, you know, many years ago, like 25 years ago. But there were times whenever grown men would come to me that were in leadership, pastors, lead pastors. Um, and they would tell me things like they'd been in adultery for maybe multiple years with a secretary or something and they had kids and grandkids one man told me that he'd been stealing from his church for many years and had stolen tens of thousands of dollars and he had to get right with god and i mean listen when revival fire begins to burn it it exposes the heart of humanity and it brings humanity to a to a decision. So again, when we talk about revival, oftentimes again we we think about just the 
the joy and, and the excitement, and that's all definitely a part of it. And, you know, real revival restores joy because oftentimes it comes to scorch before it heals. It comes to purify before it mollifies, and it comes to, to cleanse before it comes to bring excitement and elation. And when we understand the purpose of it, then we understand why God visits. He visits in order to awaken his church, to revive, to revivify, or to bring back to life his people in order that we might more effectively do the works of Jesus in the generation that we live in. So these these invasions, I'll call them, of the presence of God, the power of God are so glorious. They're so wonderful. They're so beautiful. And I guess maybe if there is a tragedy connected to that or to what happens in visitation, it's the fact that oftentimes, as we see in the history of Israel, men fall back into dormancy, apathy, lethargy, um, compromise, and even sin from time to time. At the same time, I know there are always, always, there's always a remnant of people who refuse to live at a distance from the Lord. They they refuse to stand on the sidelines. They they refuse to 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 sleep, even though. Maybe most of the church is asleep. They they refuse to, to wink at sin and embrace compromise. And there's something on the inside of certain individuals. And again, these are the people I believe that, that we can thank one day for their faithfulness that 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 drew the the passion of the Lord towards his people and even the ability for him to visit in power and demonstration again as he's done throughout really throughout the centuries as he's visited and and revealed his power and his strong arm in the midst of especially a sinful and a dark generation so so again my friend revival um really the whole purpose of revival i think it's 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 important that that we understand that the need for and the focus on revival always presupposes um, spiritual um, declension or backsliding or dormancy or even lukewarmness among the people of God. You know, the the fact is that many people are spiritually asleep in the church and they don't even realize it. The two great awakenings that happened in America, the first one in the 1700s in the American colonies, and then, of course, in the 1800s, um, both of these awakenings came as a result of spiritual apathy and sleep. Even though the church might have been in the center of the village or the town, and people might have been religious, and they might have gone and attended a congregational setting weekly or maybe twice weekly, there was no passion. There was no fire. There was no intimacy with the Lord. So, so people became or they become used to their backslidden state. And until God shows up in his glory, they are oftentimes even unaware of it. And I'll tell you what, many times the church looks at itself and compares itself with others in the church world instead of the biblical pattern of what it actually means to be revived. And, and really the disastrous result of this practice is always spiritual blindness and spiritual deafness. So listen, I, I'm going to have to close it there. And I, I have a lot of points that I want to bring out and I'll, I'll do part two next week. But let me just close by asking you this question. Do you want revival? Do you really want revival? Friend, it can begin in your heart today. God's moving. He's visiting. But what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to position yourself to allow the Lord to move in your heart today? 
My prayer is that you will, my friend. Listen, thank you so much again for being a part of this program today. Again, visit us, keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. Know that we love you. We pray the Lord would bless you. And I pray that your heart would burn hotter and brighter for Jesus than it ever has before. Be revived, my friend. We'll be back with you again next week on Maintain the Flame. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins today. I trust that you've been blessed and encouraged as you've listened. And if you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then let me encourage you to listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org or impactgf.org. May the fire of God burn brighter and hotter in your life. God bless you.